thanks to everyone for coming out this uh, Sunday afternoon. We'd like to thank those who download these uh, as podcasts from iTunes and invite them to correspond with us at utahkrishnas at gmail.com. We also have a membership class on our website at utahkrishnas.org. We'd like to thank those that have taken the membership class and become members. We couldn't do what we do without your help and support. Everything is inspired by the teachings of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who is the founder of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Today we'd like to talk about minding our own business. Too many people today are focused on all the things that are wrong, and they don't focus enough on the things that are right. We've got a habit, a lot of us, of just seeing the negative. Some people can walk into a brand new, beautifully decorated, sparkling house and overlook the thousands and thousands of things that they could favorably notice and favorably comment upon and say, did you know that you've got a scratch on your floor there? (laughs) People don't see the rose, they see the thorn. Prabhupada Guru talked about fly like people and be like people. Flies like a festering source, they like impure places, and they're to be observed swarming in those particular areas. Whereas bees, they look for the honey. So there are people that are drawn to the negative, that have an eye, not for the good, but they only have a critical eye. It's important to avoid this, especially in relationships. We can train ourselves to either see people's weaknesses, or we can train ourselves to see their strengths. You can focus on what you like about your spouse, or you can focus on those annoying habits, and we all have them, those things that you don't like about your spouse. Some people have taken the habit of not seeing anything good to the point that just like that house, they overlook the thousands and thousands of things that your spouse, your wife, and husband does for you in the name of just one fault, and they harp on that fault, they can't let that fault go, and it overshadows in their mind all the positives, to the point they can't even remember why they got married to that person in the first place. They can't remember all the different points by which they were attracted to that person originally. They've forgotten the very reason why they've gotten married. In the Bhagavad Gita, it tells us that in this world, this is not an ideal world. This is like the hospital. The hospital is not a place where perfect, healthy people go. Perfect people need not apply. This material world, as opposed to the spiritual world, is a place where souls go who have forgotten God, and it's for their rehabilitation. So, when we are looking for faults, we don't have to look very far to find faults in this material world. If you were to go in the hospital and you say, well, there's tuberculosis, there's whooping, whooping disease, and there's smallpox, you know, what new information have you given? Everybody knows that there's sick people in hospitals. If you go to the hospital and you point out you're sick, what's the contribution there? So in this material world, we don't have to go very far to find imperfect people. And every endeavor is covered by some sort of fault as smoke is covered by fire. If you're looking for something wrong, you won't have much trouble finding it. The real question is not whether we're going to see wrong things, not plucking out our eyes or being oblivious to things that are going on around us, but the real question is, based on the things that you see, what are you going to magnify? Are you going to, having seen the bad, 
magnify and get all wrapped up in the bad? Or are you going to magnify the goods? Are you going to see someone's strengths and build on those? Or are you going to see and pick out someone's weaknesses and get all wrapped up in those? Every one of us has habits that get on people's nerves. Nobody is immune from this. The key is, what is it that we're magnifying? When we are critical, when we nag, when we make a big deal out of small things, when we make a mountain out of a molehill, you never take out the trash. You're always late when we're supposed to meet. The things I ask you to do, they go in one ear and out the other. You don't really listen to me. We are magnifying the wrong things. There's part of the traditional Vedic marriage ceremony which, in which the priest asks the bride and groom to determine in advance to not magnify each other's faults. Seeing is not an option. We're going to observe faults. But it's a choice whether we magnify the faults or whether we magnify the good qualities. Maybe your spouse has a habit of leaving their socks lying around. Maybe your spouse talks with a little bit of a nasal twang. We can't help but notice that. But why dwell on it, you see? Why let it obscure all the good things and destroy the intimacy in the marriage? And anyway, if you want your spouse to do things, it's easier to get them to be inspired by being nice and sweet and encouraging. It is said that more are caught by honey than by vinegar. So instead of nagging your husband, why don't you mow the lawn? We're getting knee-high weeds. The neighbors are talking. You're lazy. Get off the couch. Try this for a change. Honey, I love the way you look out there in the lawn and those shorts with your bare chest. Mmm, mmm, boy. You don't know how many times I've heard the curtains and get an eye full of you. Try that approach. I'll bet you he'll be out there mowing the lawn every day. All of his spare time, he'll be out there mowing the lawn. But where is the problem here, really? Is it in our spouse? Is it in our circumstances? Is the boss the problem? Are our co-workers the problem? Is the economy the problem? No. Actually, you've guessed it by now. We're the problem, right? The problem is actually with us. I heard a story about a lady who had some neighbors move in next door. And she's in her kitchen window looking in her, their backyard one or two mornings later. And she starts commenting to her husband, this lady's wash is all gray and dingy. She's hung it out on the line to dry, but it doesn't look like she's even used any detergent. What kind of a person doesn't know how to wash? And what kind of a person sends their kids to school in these dingy, dirty shorts and shirts and things like that? So day after day, she would get up and she would look out and see all the dirty laundry on the line. She would comment to her husband. This went on weeks and weeks and weeks. Negative, 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 negative. One day, after a couple of months went by, she got up, she went in her kitchen, she looked into her neighbor's backyard, and the wash was sparkling white and crisp and shining in the sun. She says, honey, come here. You won't believe this. Our neighbor has finally learned how to wash. I wonder what happened. The husband comes rolling into the room and he says, Honey, what happened was, I got up early this morning and I washed the kitchen window. 
The problem wasn't with the neighbor, with her lack of knowledge, with not putting in detergent, not respecting her family. That None of that was the problem. The problem was the filter through which this lady was looking. Her filter was dirty. And that was the problem. And that's the problem with all of us. Some of us have a filter through which we look at the world and that filter is dirty. Like trying to see things through a dirty window or looking in a dusty mirror. It is said when looking for faults, don't use a telescope, look, use a mirror. If you see negatives on the freeway and traffic, if you notice the scratch on the floor, you're going to miss all the beauty that God surrounds us with every day. The problem is not really external. The problem is internal. It's a heart problem. Maybe it's not the world that needs to change, or a spouse, or a boss, or co-workers. Maybe we need to break the habit of seeing the bad rather than the good. Maybe we've trained ourselves to be critical and sarcastic, constantly finding fault. If so, it means that the way we look at the world itself is tainted, and everything we look is going to be painted with the same brush. I heard about a snooty lady of uh, high society. She used to visit periodically this art museum in her hometown. One day, she forgot her glasses, and she was kind of looking around unfocusedly. And she came before this one exhibit. And she says very condescendingly to the curator, she says, My dear fellow, I have never seen this painting before. I find the image rather shallow and crude in appearance. What do you call this? And the curator answered her, expressionless, That, madam, is a mirror. If you have a tainted filter, that's going to follow you wherever you go. You may have all kinds of trouble at work with your boss and your co-workers and speaking negatively and I don't like this company and so on and so forth. But lo and behold, when you change your jobs and you get another job, all those same negatives are going to come. So there was nothing wrong with the job, there was nothing wrong with the previous job, there's nothing wrong with the present one that you can't deal with if you have a positive attitude. But the problem is you're taking your critical spirit with you. You can have all kinds of complaints against your first wife and leave her and try to get another wife who's more perfect than your first wife and after a few years or a few months you're finding all the same faults in that second wife. It was the critical spirit that moves with you as you move. We can go through our whole life like that unless we learn to clean the window. Many years ago, our spiritual master prophet was having a conversation with one of the top men in the Catholic Church in France. His name was Cardinal Danilou. And Cardinal Danilou defended the practice of eating meat and participating in the wholesale slaughter of animals by saying that animals have no metaphysical sense. We have a metaphysical sense. The animals have a no metaphysical sense. That makes us superior. That gives a license to eat their flesh. Now, Prabhupada took that same argument and he used it in favor of mercy and compassion. Prabhupada said, what is the meaning of metaphysical? Physical is this physical world, and meta means above. So one who has a metaphysical sense should be able to see above the physical body. Should be able to see that that's only the covering, that's only the vehicle. But if I have a metaphysical sense, I can see that animating, driving that, is an eternal spirit soul, part and parcel of God. And to say that the animals have no soul is the rationalization of the meteor. Because it would be more difficult to eat the animal if we acknowledge that the animal, in fact, has a soul. 
But when we say the animal has a soul, we're in a sense repeating ourselves. Because the word animal comes from the Latin animus, which means soul. As soon as we cease the practice of eating meat, it becomes immediately apparent to us that the animals are spiritual beings just like we are. In fact, aside from the metaphysical sense, which would lead us not to victimize or terrorize, but in fact to be stewards of the animals as big brothers would be the little brothers. As soon as we cease the practice of slaughtering animals, it's immediately apparent to us that they're spiritual beings very little different from us. We eat, they eat. We sleep, they sleep. We mate, they mate. We defend, they defend. So what is it that's different about us if the animal has no soul and we have a soul? Nothing, practically speaking. They also have the right to pursue liberty and happiness in their own way. Here's a picture I threw in here of one of our llamas. On sunny days like today, uh, I'm sorry, the projector is kind of dull. I may have to change the lamp. But that uh, picture there is of a llama lying on the back with front legs and back legs just spread out. I mean, no beach lying bikini girl would be enjoying the rays, catching a few rays as much as this llama is. And are you going to tell me that that llama doesn't have a soul, that it doesn't enjoy exercise, that it doesn't enjoy sunlight, that it doesn't enjoy relationships, that it doesn't enjoy a good meal? No. And one who realizes that, in fact, wherever there's life, there's spirit, there's parts of God, for that person, nobody is put into difficulty. No other living being suffers unnecessarily on the count of a spiritually evolved person. We need to err. If we're going to err, let's err on the side of mercy rather than on the side of cruelty. I heard a story about a South Indian Brahmin, a young Turk, who envisioned himself as being the head of the local temple in due course of time, and he was rushing down the street in, in order to get to do his puja, his worship in time. There was a dog lying there, and he viciously kicked the dog out of the way, discounting the dog. Turns out that that dog was the head priest of the very same temple in his last life. And he had been condescending and insensitive and absorbed in his own self. And as a result of his karma, he took his next birth as a dog. And this priest, new head priest, would be of the temple, kicked the dog, who in fact was the head priest of the temple in his last life. What am I saying? We don't know the other person's whole story. He wanted to be the head of the temple, and he kicked the former head of the temple. I don't know about you, but I'm going to keep my Windex handy so that I see and respect every living being, whether they're in the body of a dog or an ant or a human being. People are quick in this age to find faults, to be critical, if someone's not just like them. Have you ever heard anyone talking, if I were them? Have you ever heard that catchphrase? Here's some of the things that could follow. If I were them, I'd never wear those clothes. If I were them, I'd never send my kids to that school. If I were them, I wouldn't drive that car. If I were them, I wouldn't take a vacation in this town economy. Here's the key. You're not them. You don't know what you would do if you were them because you haven't walked in their shoes. How someone spends their money, what kind of a car they drive, what kind of a house they live in, when and where they take their vacation, it's none of my business. I have a hard enough time trying to run my own life without trying to run someone else's life. 
It said that one of the best ways to keep our mind clean is to mind our own business. Don't be nosy. Nosy people are critical people. I heard this joke about three ladies in church, and the preacher was given one of the old-fashioned fire and brimstone lectures, and he started off by saying, anyone who smokes and drinks and takes drugs, they're going to hell. And the ladies were back there, tell it, preacher, tell it, preacher, amen, amen. And then the preacher said, anyone who commits adultery and fornication, they're doomed. And the lady said, amen, hallelujah, tell it like it is, preacher. And then the preacher said, those who talk about people behind their backs, those who perform character assassination, who talk and spread untruths about people who are not present, they are also doomed. The ladies got very quiet. They looked at each other and they said, he stopped preaching and now he's just meddling. <laughs> we want all the details we want the latest joke the latest dirt we want the scoop not so that we can find out what the problem is and render help or service to that person no we just want to run with it to our gossipy friends and psh, 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 did you hear about so and so and so and so and such and such if we're spiritual aspirants, if we want to become the best that God intends us to be, when someone asks the question, have you heard the latest scuttlebutt? Our answer should be, no, I didn't hear, and I don't want to hear. Because my ears are not receptacles, and my body is not a trash can to be poisoned. Well, someone says, you know, if I resist the overtures of my friends in that way, I'll be lonely. My friends will leave me. I'd rather be lonely than poisoned. I'd rather be lonely than miss the great things that God has in store for me. So if your friends are critics and fault finders and gossips, you need to find some new friends. You don't want that to rub off on you. Well, if I walk out on my friends, they'll talk about me. Let me tell you a secret. They're already talking about you. If they'll talk about someone else in your presence who's not there, I guarantee you, when you're not there, they're talking about you to other people. God will never promote a critical spirit. God will never favor those who are nosy and who talk about other people and who sow discord. I'll give you a little early history of the Hare Krishna movement. Things are not like this anymore. Devotees are much more mature. But I was president of the Berkeley San Francisco Temple in 1975 to 78. And we had a number of successes. And in fact, we were known amongst all the temples in America as having a great spirit and a great harmony. I had been sent some wonderful leaders, some mature people, and we worked very synchronistically together. Now, somehow or other, in 1977, our leadership at the time, called the GBC in its infinite wisdom, decided that they would send the number one known troublemaker in our whole society to come and be in charge of the Berkeley Temple, and his name was Hansa Duda. Hansa Duda had a history, he started out in Berkeley, actually, and he had a history of fighting with the local people, and then he moved to Montreal, and he had a history of dissension and sowing discord. He went to England, he sowed discord, he went to Germany, he went to India, and wherever he went, he always fought and sowed discord. He ended up in a, a little island on the other side of the world called Sri Lanka. In those days, it was Ceylon. Prabhupada told Hansa Duda, because he would always criticize him and always complain about him, Prabhupada told Hansa Duda, you go to Sri Lanka and no one will bother you there. Of course, the other side of that, the other meaning of it is you won't bother anyone else. 
So anyway, we got Hansa Duda to come and be in charge of the birthday temple. And immediately the backbiting, the betrayals, the stabbing, and the slander started. And I wanted to work with him. I thought we were all on the same team. We want the same thing to glorify God and help our spiritual master and our mission. But no matter how much I exerted myself and how much I tried to cooperate, after about three months, I saw it just wasn't going to work out. So I went to him and I said, I can't stand it. I've tried to cooperate with you, but I cannot work in this atmosphere. I'm leaving. And his answer was, I'm surprised you lasted this long. He said, before I came, I already decided that your programs were too successful, you were too well-known, you were getting too much power. I'd already decided it was either going to be him or me. Well, I said, thanks. If you told me that three months ago, I would have saved a lot of trouble, a lot of angst, you see. Latest I heard about Hansa Duda a couple of years ago, he lost his high position, he was re- removed from his place, and the latest news I had from him a couple of years ago was that he had a major heart attack and he's living in a trailer park in Northern California. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that everybody that slanders Cheru gets a heart attack and lives in a trailer park. <laughs> I'm not even saying it's a bad thing to live in a trailer park. But I am saying that anyone has a critical and a judgmental spirit, especially towards those who are doing what Krishna or God has called them to do, steps out of the circle of God's protection. This is an instance 500 years ago, a Muslim-born saint named Haridas Thakur was chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. 23 hours a day, leaving only a half an hour to eat and a half an hour to sleep, he chanted the names of God. And he got great fame as a saint. But another Muslim named Ramachandra Khan was envious that why should he get so much fame for chanting, quote-unquote, a Hindu name of God. So he hired the most beautiful prostitute in the area to approach Haridas Thakur, who was a young man, in the twilight hours, and to seduce him and thus spoil his reputation. Not only was Haridas Thakur not seduced by the beautiful prostitute, but she converted, she experienced a change of heart, and as you can see from the picture, she surrendered and asked him to be her guru. She gave up all her beautiful clothes, all her jewels, she gave up her former waywardness of lifestyle, she became his disciple. And when he quit the place, she sat on his dais with a bee bag in her hand and became known far and wide as a great Vaishnava saint. I don't know about... And Ramachandra Khan, who had conspired against the devotee of Krishna, he was discovered to be embezzling the funds, the tax funds that he was entrusted to collect. His house and all of his wealth was confiscated by the government and he and his family was thrown into jail. So I don't know about you, but if I have a difference of opinion with someone, I'm not going to go around bad-mouthing. I need God's protection. I need His wisdom to make good decisions. I need His strength to overcome enemies. Don't pick on people. Don't jump on other people's failures. Don't criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same kind of treatment. Everything we do, every act we do, is like planting a seed. If we do acts of compassion and respect and helpfulness, we'll experience those same things coming full circle in our life. On the other hand, if we're critical, if we're judgmental, if we're fault finders, then we'll find that these things have a way of boomeranging back on us. Some people build a whole movement on negatives. Have you ever noticed that the greatest acrimony sometimes is 
between married people, that the greatest bitterness and hatred is between different branches of the same religion, because people have gotten so focused on one or two negative points, their perception is distorted that if we'll just change those one or two things, everything else will be all right. And they completely discount thousands and thousands and thousands of good things. I don't stand before you claiming to be perfect. Every speech I give, every talk I give is not perfect. Every statement is not perfect. Every deed I do is not all perfect. Every thought, every mood I have, they're not all perfect. But I do know this, that I'm serving God to the very best of my ability. I'm trying to do what He has called me to do. If we concentrate on the law in our own eyes, rather than become preoccupied in the speck of someone else's eye, we'll have a lot less time to be critical and judgmental. We've got enough to do to get our own house in order without worrying about everybody else. The reason that we're here in this material world, we've got fires here. All over, the whole state of Utah is in a state of conflagration. I've got news for you. This entire world is described in the Sanskrit as samsara. We're living in a forest fire. Whether there's fires in the BLM land or not, we're always in a fire. We're being consumed by the fire of time. And we'll all come to that point where we're burned to death by time and tide and circumstances. If we'll realize that we came here in the first place, we left the eternal spiritual world, we left the association of God because of our fault-finding mentality. Unlike this material world, there's no fault in God and there's no fault in His world, which is generated from His internal potency. But we managed it somehow. Someone says, well, how did, we man- how did we leave the perfect spiritual world and come here? Because we can develop such a habit of fault-finding that even where there are no faults, we can find faults. We even find fault with God. We blame our birth, we blame our parents, we blame the economy, we blame circumstances, and ultimately we blame God. And folks, that's what puts us here in this material world. 500 years ago, Lord Chaitanya was an incarnation of God, a devotional incarnation of God who appeared in Bengal. He assumed the role of a sannyasi, a renounced monk, a celibate, and everything he did was exemplary. He did not deviate from the codes of sannyas, even one iota. He ate very little, he slept very little, and according to the dictates of the order, he kept himself strictly celibate. But one fault finder, his name was Ramachandra Puri, we talked about one Ramachandra, and this is another Ramachandra, he came to visit Lord Chaitanya, and he noticed some ants in the room where Lord Chaitanya was staying. So he immediately concocted a fault. This sannyasi, he puts on a show of eating unspiced kitri and simple foods in small quantities, but he must be sneaking in and eating in secret sweets. Because otherwise, why are there ants crawling here and there in his room? 
Though it was no fault in Lord Chaitanya's part, but he managed to find a fault. Similarly, some or other, we managed to be discomfited. We managed to find some critical accusation to level at God on some subconscious level. And so we had to come and live in this less than perfect material world. Now we're not going to get back home, back to the eternal spiritual world, unless we pay attention and turn around this fault-finding mentality. And although we've criticized God, although we've turned our back on Him and cut ourselves off from His favors, He hasn't cut His favors from us, but we turn the faucet off when we turn away from Him. God does not favor nosy, judgmental, critical people. He doesn't bear us any grudge for having left his ideal spiritual world. He doesn't seek to pay us back in kind. He continues to seek to bless us, to redeem us, and to bring us back into his eternal association in the spiritual world. And when we get ourselves right with him again, the favors that we've turned our back on, the faucet that we've turned off, will be turned on again and we'll experience unimaginable, amazing blessings and a wonderful future. So let's be the same way as God and not try to pay back our critics, uh, not to fall into the trap of our enemies. Let's be well-wishers of all living beings, even the animals, even our enemies. Thank your enemies. Thank your critics. The more they talk about you, the more that you have the opportunity to take the high road by not paying them back. They're not stumbling blocks, but they're stepping stones. We're asking you today not to have a critical spirit. Even if people are being critical to you, let's not be critical back to them. Keep our hearts pure. Train ourselves to see the best. There's good in every situation that we look for. Learn to magnify the good things. I believe today that if we're resolved, we can wipe away off the windows of our hearts such dust has been holding us back for years. Let's wipe away judgment. Let's wipe away criticism. Let's wipe away fault finding. Let's make our minds up that these will no longer cloud our vision. Let's go out of here today with clean hearts, believing the best, sowing the right seeds, seeing the good, minding our own business. If we do this, we're going to shake off the dust of this material world and go back home, back to Godhead, where life is eternal, full of bliss and knowledge. And if you're inclined to chat with me, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare.